So, we're in our series on family. Um, it's our final week of family. It's uh, been a six-part series on family. So we looked at the importance of family, like why family, why, do, why does God put us in family, how our um, passionate marriages or singleness can be a demonstration of the kingdom, how important those are to the kingdom. We looked at parenting. We looked at uh, the one another's, some of the one another's in the Bible, the instructions that we get. So love one another, care for one another, serve all of those one another's that come on. Last week, uh, Dave spoke brilliantly on adoption. So if you haven't heard that, I want to encourage you to go and listen to that. And, and obviously they are physically adopted, but it's also, it's our adoption into the family. So, so how we are adopted into God's family and the inheritance and, and the benefits that we get from that. And then this week we're looking at growth. Um, and you know, God, God began with a family in the beginning. He starts off with, with Adam and Eve and their kids. And, and so that's that's the pattern that God uses all the way throughout the Bible. He then chooses to use a family to be his agents to speak to the world. He says, Abraham, through your family, you will be a blessing to the world. That's the promise that comes. And, and family is a, is a massive theme that runs through the Bible right from start to finish. And in the New Testament, it's, it's the most used metaphor for the church is the family or the household of God. Over and over again, we are referred to as the family of God. And there's some important things in that regard. And it's, it's important that God uses that metaphor because it's not an organization. We're not slaves. We're not servants. We're not just part of something impersonal. And that is the beauty of the gospel is that we get to be a part of God's family. We don't just come in as, as those who are just trying to climb levels on a hierarchy. We don't come in as those who are just maybe part of something that's just bigger than ourselves like we love to serve. No, no, you are sons and daughters in God's household, and that is a beautiful thing. And we might have maybe some mixed experiences of family and what family is like, depending on your family of origin that you come out of and, and how that is. And so we all have those experiences of family, but what God does is He says, man, I want to bring you into my family, and I want to show you how to love and show you what unconditional love in a family looks like. But our inclusion into the family of God is not not only for our benefit. Yes, we do get benefit from it. And it's not just to be part of the in-group, you know, just to be like, just to be, uh, we're in and you're not, and, and we're more important than you. But the purpose of us being included in God's family is growth. So we've been included in the family, and that purpose for our inclusion is, is growth. Our faith in the saving work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection should cause growth. So what Jesus has done on the cross should cause growth. Now, growth comes in two ways. There's growth in size and growth in substance. Does that make sense? So growth in size, growth in substance. So we have size is quantitative growth, so we have growth in numbers, and substance is growth in is qualitative growth, so that's growth in, in the substance of who we are. So, and this is exactly what the, the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, and I'll read it for you. This is what Jesus says to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, to make disciples, you've got to begin with a, a conversion. There's got to be a moment where you start, where you say, yeah, Jesus says, come follow me. And you say, yes, I'm going to follow you. And so there's numbers that are added. There's a, there's a quantity growth in the disciples. Jesus says, go and make disciples. In other words, go and, make, go and get people, take them from where they were following to come and follow Jesus. So that's a change. So that's a numbers added. 
But a disciple is not just a, a number adder. It's not just a convert. It's not just someone who sits there and says, yes, this is what I am. It's not just a box checking. A disciple is someone who with their whole life apprentices to that person. So you go, yes, Jesus is the one I want to apprentice to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend my life being with Jesus like an apprentice does, learning from him and doing what he does. That's what a disciple is. So a disciple, and then there's, so what that means is that there's growth in that person. So it's just, it's, it's one, it's a coming to, and it's a numbers growth, but two, following that is a, quantita, a qualitative growth. So it's a, it's a growth in substance. It's a changing in who I am. It's a coming alive of the life of God in you and I. And Jesus says, for those disciples, this is the end of Jesus' time with them and the beginning of, of their walk with the Holy Spirit, beginning of their walk without Jesus, beginning of their, of their walk of faith, if you will. It's easy to, I think it was easy when Jesus was with them, and now he goes, and he says, this is what you're going to do when I'm gone. He says, this is how you guys are going to grow. You who are already following me, this is how you're going to grow, is by going. So our growing comes by going. Does that make sense? People often ask, like, do I have to grow before I go? Do I go before? Our growing comes in the going. As we go and make disciples, we grow in our faith and in our walk with Jesus. So a few points about growth. So growth is, growth is pretty normal. Growth is natural. Anything that doesn't, doesn't grow is either dead, inanimate, or there's something wrong with it. We, we would use terms like it's stunted or it's deprived, and we wonder why that thing isn't growing. Now, that which has life grows. However slow it grows, it grows. And and Growth being natural, see, God instructed us, human beings, to grow from the beginning. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it was his instruction to Adam and Eve. So to be fruitful literally meant to have kids, like grow. Does that make sense? So, so Mrs. Wright has been fruitful, judging by the, all the people here. She's fulfilling the scriptures, because there's a lot of you. When you guys come for Christmas, the wings come for Christmas, there's like... We make a space because there's, we know, there's like a lot of, and it's a, it's a beautiful picture of the fruitfulness of God in someone's life. So God has put the possibility for growth in each and every one of us. Growth is natural, size and substance. Growth is hard. If you've ever tried to grow in an area, it is real hard. You know, when you, when you, when you're, if you've had kids, you would have seen it. So part of what kids have to do is they have to move off um, liquids and soft foods, move to hard foods, and part of it comes with that is growing teeth and pushing those teeth out. And it is, a, it, is an, it is not a fun experience as a parent when your kids start to go through those things. And we got to, I mean, there's a saying, like when you start something and you, things go wrong, it's called teething problems. It's literally like, it's hard. We're going to expect some things. Growth is hard. It's not easy. Growth is also hard, not only just because of the change that comes in that thing and, and having to develop and grow and produce new things, but growth is hard because there's opposition. And so if you have tried to grow in your walk with Jesus and you've experienced some difficulty in that thing and you feel like you're two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, one step to the side, just like I'm trying but I feel like I'm swimming upstream here. And if you've experienced that difficulty in your growth in who you are, it's because there's opposition. If you've experienced difficulty in growth and trying to share the gospel with your family and go, man, you need to follow Jesus, it's because there's opposition. Matthew 13, 24 to 30 and 36 to 43, Jesus tells this parable of, of the sower sowing good seed. And then when the crop comes up, there's weeds in there and they kind of, the disciples are like, hey, why is this? And he says, 
This is because there's an enemy who has sown seed in there. He says there's opposition. Where you will sow the seeds of the word of God in your life, there's opposition that comes in those things. So don't be alarmed if growth is hard. Growth is healthy. Growth is generally slow. Sometimes it's almost imperceptible. Kids long to be older. They want to grow up. They want to like, they always like just, especially if you've got an older sibling, you always just want to be there two or three years, five years, whatever it is. Like, I just want to be doing what they do. And sometimes we miss growth because like a child, day to day, we don't see the growth that happens. And we need to take stock and go and look back over our lives and go, man, I used to do a lot. You feel like you're not growing and like I'm a failure. And you look back and you go, man, look at what God has done in my life. Like that song we sang this morning, I know what you've done and I know you'll do it again. I've seen you move. Maybe you have to go back and, and revisit what God has done in your life and have a look and see, man, what mountains have you moved, God? What have you done in the past and what are you gonna do again? And I trust you to do it again. That's growth. It's slow. It can often be unnoticed. But if we examine ourselves, we'll see that it's been there all along. Growth requires nurture. Growth takes a bit of intentionality about it. It takes some effort. You've got to put some effort into it. We need to be intentional about the growth. We can't just be, you know, it's like a flower. If you, if you plant seeds, my son tried to grow a veggie garden a while ago, and he was pretty good at it. But it took a lot of, he had to dig out the soil, he had to pull out the weeds, he had to square it off. We had to make a fence around it so the dogs couldn't dig it up, make little rows, put the seeds in, water it, but not water it. You can't just turn the water on and leave it because you're going to drown it. You're going to kill the plant. You've got to make sure it's planted in the sunlight where it gets enough. And so there's a lot of stuff that goes into making growth happen. Those of you who are farmers or most of you who've been involved in farming will understand this. It's not just plant the cane, come back and harvest it later. Hey, Marky? Not. Not so much. Yeah. <laughs> Farming's easy, right? Why don't everybody do it? Yeah. John Maxwell puts it like this. He says, he says, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Change is inevitable, but growth is optional. And what that means is that something is going to change. You plant something or you leave a field, you leave it as it is, it's going to change. It's gonna, there'll be change that comes in that field. But whether it's growth is different. And it's the same for us, friends. We're going to change. The one thing that, that is guaranteed in life is change. Things are going to change around us. We've seen it over the last few years. The world has changed incredibly. But have we grown? That's the question. Have we been intentional about our growing? Have we nurtured the growth of the life of God? So, so this is what we as, as apprentices to Jesus ought to do. And here's the model that Jesus gives us, is he comes and he calls his disciples. So, so there is a beginning to that. There is a thing where Jesus says, hey, come follow me. There is a response from the disciples where they leave everything. They, leave, they physically leave everything and they go and follow Jesus. And then through a life spent with Jesus, they learn. They learn through observation. They learn through direct contact with Jesus or his teaching. They learn through being involved in what he's doing. Sometimes you'll see they'll come and the disciples are praying for people. And then they get, they're like, come and they call Jesus and they're like, hey, we couldn't sort this out. Like, what's going on? And, and so there's an involvement. It's not just a spectator sport. They do what he did. Jesus sends them out. He says, go and heal. Go and cast out demons. Go and do what I'm doing. And eventually they, they become more and more like Jesus. And so that's our model for discipleship as we want to grow is we spend time with Jesus in order to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. It's a simple three-step plan. 
spend time with him, to become like him, to do what he did. And then we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, like what Peter says. That's his final, you know, Peter's final instruction in the Bible that we have, the Apostle Peter, is this thing, 2 Peter 3, 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in it. That's his instruction to them. He said, don't worry, don't pay attention to all things of the world. I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Much of what we've read through this series on family has been out of the book of Ephesians, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and rightly so, because the Ephesians is, you know, Colossians is a book about the Christ of the church, and, and Ephesians is a book about the church of the Christ. So it speaks a lot about who we are as the family of God, who we are, what is our identity in Jesus. But the central kind of theological theme, the kind of central idea of chapters one to four is that the church is a creation of God in which a, a divided and fragmented humanity can be reconciled into one unified organism. So it's a, it's a long, long thing, but it's a divided, the church is a creation, so, so the church is created by God, it's formed, so that this divided and fragmented humanity, people from different walks of life, different cultures, man, woman, child, slave, free, rich, poor, can be united and unified in one family under God. That's the central theme. The church is the body and the fullness of Jesus, 1, 22, and 3. So these are all out of Ephesians. The dividing wall has been broken down by Jesus. That, that dividing wall, just interestingly, I heard something a couple of weeks ago on that. That is what the, the phrase used for that dividing wall is the wall between the holy part of the Jewish temple and the secondary part of the Jewish temple. So, so the part where the Gentiles were allowed and the part where only Jews were allowed, that thing was called the dividing wall. So there was a little sign I've said that said no Gentiles passed here, only Jews could go in because that was more holy, you were in the presence of God, the others could only look on. And so what Paul is saying is that wall that is stopping anybody else from going in has been broken down. So those two things that were separate are now unified and that's good for us because I, I, don't, I think we're all Gentiles. None of us, are, any Jews? No, just us, okay. So the dividing wall has been broken down, 2.14 to 16. And Jesus, a new creation, the church, is formed through his death on the cross. Those who were far away have been brought near, 2.17 and 18. Members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus, 3.6. And he says in 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, we are called to become a part of the church. We are called to grow the church. And we are called to grow as we are part of it. So we, we are called to, to grow the church in size and in substance. Let me read to you out of 4, 15 and 16. Paul says this, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I want to highlight that last part. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you see it there? Do you see what's going to cause the growth? As each part does its work. As each part does its work. I, I think we need to hear what God has been saying to us over the last few weeks and few months particularly. You know what, do you know, remember the series we did before this one? For those who weren't here, it was the, the gifted series. So we looked at what gifts has God put in me? What has, he, what has he made? How has he made me to be? How has he made me to function? And that again, it's not just so that you can be you and you can be unique and beautiful and you are those things, but it's so that you can do this, grow and build, a, 
the church in love as each part does its work. Sometimes you might look at the, the more prominent gifts like the angelic voice and, uh, and fingers of the Holy Spirit that Dave has as he sings and plays. And you might think, man, that's, that's the thing that we need that's going to build up the church. That's what's going to make people come is when Dave sings. And it, it, it might. I mean, it, you never know. But it's, it's not just that. It's when you and I love on people. When we share the love of Christ with people through the gifts that he's put in us, however that looks. Gift of mercy. Maybe you've got the gift of teaching. Maybe you've got the gift of patience. That thing where you can just go over and over again to people who are just, maybe that's what you've got. Use those gifts to serve people in love and the church grows. Two things that I believe God has been reminding us of over these last few months and in this series is, is the apostolic and the prophetic nature of our faith. Now, if you're new to church, you know you're visiting and you're not normally here, those are two very weird words that are a bit christian easy, and that's okay, I'll explain them. So apostolic just literally means an ambassador or a sent one, somebody who has a message and authority from the one who is sending them to go and be a representative somewhere else. Prophetic, I'll get to now. But firstly, the apostolic. There have been, if, if you go back and look over our sermons and what words and things that have come in, and even you know, outside people that have come in and spoken in here, what God has been saying to us repeatedly over and over again is that just as Jesus sends out his disciples while he was on the earth, so, so he is sending us out. Our faith is, is, is apostolic by nature. We are sent ones. Right from the beginning, God says, go. I want you to go and fill the earth and subject it. And Abraham, go to the nations. Over and over again, God. The, the, the whole nation of Israel was meant to be a demonstration of God and his love going to the world. God sends his son to go into the world. And we are part of this family that must be a blessing to the nations. Acts 1.8 says that we are to be his witnesses. And that means telling people about what he's done, both for us and for everyone. So it's not just a personal testimony. Those are powerful and those are incredible and those are amazing. But it's also a, this is what the gospel is and this is what it is for you. This is why you need it. We've got to go both near and far. We're to use everything at our disposal to, go, to get the gospel to our neighbor next door and to the ends of the earth. We are those who are called to use our gifts in order to extend the invite to others to join in the life that is found in this body and in this family of the Father. We should desire to see the church grow. I want to ask you a question on the end of that. Is the good news still good news for you? There was a story of a guy sharing a, a gospel in, in um, uh, early 19th century with someone in England. And he, I think in my late 19th century, he said, and, the, and he's sharing this with an unbeliever, a complete raging atheist. And the guy's telling him about Jesus and how he died and things. And the man said to me, he said, friend, if that was true... I would crawl across England on broken glass to tell one person what you are telling me today. And he understood, that atheist understood that if what we have in the gospel is true, we should be willing to do anything to share that with one person. That is the apostolic nature of our, of our faith that we have. That is part of the, the sentness of our being in this family. And secondly, the prophetic. I think God is reminding us of the prophetic nature of our faith. Prophetic, now, now sometimes we, we struggle with the prophetic and we think, it, you know, you quickly think it gets weird and it's, it's out there and they're just people who say things and blurt it out and sometimes you're not prophetic, you're just rude and you need to rein it in a bit, but it's, prophetic is also not 
not just fortune telling. That's not what it is. It's not reading out people's credit card numbers and, you know, the mentalist mind tricks and things like that. So that's not what the prophetic biblically is. New Testament prophecy is not about predicting. It's not about a Nostradamus predicting the future. This is what's going to happen on this day, and we should all go out into the desert because Jesus is there. It's not. It's, there, is, there is sometimes some element to the, of, of futureness to the prophecy and words that come, but it's not about a prediction. You see, what we read there in Ephesians 4.15 really, for me, carries the heart of the prophetic nature of what it is. And it starts off, and it says, speaking the truth in love. And that's the heart of the prophetic nature of what we do, is speaking the truth in love to people. You see, prophetic, in the sense, the, the, the nature of our faith and how we are part of this family and how we are to cause growth and how we are to experience that growth is that prophetic in the sense that we live out what we say we believe to be true. Amen? Okay, good, just checking. There's something a bit nervous about. Like, what do I believe? But prophetic in the sense that it declares truth. Speaking the truth in love. We don't have to lie to people about what we believe the truth to be. Declares the truth, but it also offers redemption, brings encouragement and hope. You know, it's incredible. We read the Old Testament prophets and we think, man, prophets of doom, man. Look at what they're saying. They're saying, these people are going to die. It's going to be bad. God's going to rain down fire on you. He's going to destroy you as a nation. But keep reading. Keep reading those prophets in the Old Testament because there is always a promise of redemption. But if you will turn to the Lord today, then he has this for you. There is always that offer of redemption and hope and encouragement. Unfortunately, we stop reading sometimes and we just want to tell the world, man, God is going to smite you. And that's more about the condition of our heart than the word of prophecy that God gives us. Prophecy, yes, it speaks the truth in love, but it brings encouragement, hope, and the promise of redemption. We live prophetic in the sense that we live wholly dependent on God each day, depending on Him, on our relationship with Him for life itself. He gives us vitality and direction and, and the very essence of everything we do. And the, the Old Testament prophets, again, were a great picture of that. Because sometimes God asks him to do weird stuff, like walk around naked for years on end. There's not a word from the Lord. Please don't take it. But what it was, was it, it just showed a complete dependence on God. It was like, I am willing to do anything for God, anything that God asked me to do as a picture to go, Hosea, go and marry that prostitute. And she keeps going back to prostitute. And he, God says, take her back. Go and marry her. This is my picture of what I'm doing with the nation of Israel. This is how I love on people. I will love them uncon no matter how much you cheat on me, I'm still going to love you. That's a prophetic picture. Incredible. With his life that Hosea lives out. Amazing. It's the prophetic nature. So, what does this look like? What is this growth that we are called and our purpose of being part of this family is for? What is it what does it look like? Well, firstly, it's, it's really quite simple, and I've, I've hit it over and over, but I'm going to make it super obvious. It's we are witnesses. We, are, we need to evangelize. As part of the family, as we grow, we want to grow in size, you've got to share the gospel. And I want to challenge you. Can you share the gospel in 30 seconds, three minutes, and three hours? 30 seconds, three minutes, and three hours. Can you share it in those forms where you've got 30 seconds with someone? Maybe you're standing in a queue. Maybe you're paying at the till and you're waiting for the credit card machine to, to get signal and they kind of draw pictures in the air with the credit card. Have you seen that? Like, are you YMCAing with that thing? Like, what is it? FNB? Do you have to type out the letters of the bank you're part of with the credit card machine? 
Maybe that's what you've got. It's 30 seconds while you're standing there at the till with someone. Can you share the gospel with them there? Or three minutes. Maybe you've got a bit longer. Only one till open, so there's a few of you in the queue. Or have you got three hours where someone says, hey, I, I don't understand what you mean. Can you explain that to me? And you sit and talk for hours about the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Literally, that's what evangelizing is. Jesus loves you, and so do I, and this is why. Pray with people. Hey, I see you're struggling with that thing. Can I pray for you? Why? Well, I don't really know if that works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, Jesus loves you, and you'll know. Can I pray for you? This is what it looks like to grow in size. Lead people to a saving faith. Lead people to the place of going, hey, yes, I want to make that commitment to be a disciple of Jesus. Don't be afraid of asking people, are you ready? Do you want to? And it's not about the prayer. It's not about the thing. It's about that, that moment that settles in their heart that people say, yes, this is where I want to start. Lead them to a saving faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. This is what it looks like to grow in size is we serve and we invite people. You serve and you invite people into the family of God. How do we serve the gifts you have? Simply who God's made you to be. Use those things to serve other people. So that's the first way. That's the growing in size. That's the outward thing. Witness and evangelize. Share the gospel. It's what we're all called to do, friends. It's not, it's not some professional's job. We can't expect Uncle Angus to be the sole evangelist in South Africa. Some of us are going, man, he needs to have more Mighty Men's Conference. I'm going to take my friend there and he's going to get saved. God has made that person your friend. You share the gospel with them. Don't put it off and put it on someone else's shoulders. Yeah, but I'm not an evangelist. Yes, but you're called to evangelize. Might not be a gifted evangelist, but maybe it's going to take a lot. But go and do it. Go and, we're all called to be Jesus' witnesses. And the second thing, the second thing that this looks like when we live out our growth is obviously our growth in substance. So how do we grow as Christians? And it's not an either or, by the way. It's not like you can just do one or <laughs> You can't choose. It's both together. They both go hand in hand. It's a both and thing. So be intentional about your own growth, the, the qualitative growth, the growth in substance and who you are. Dallas Willard is probably one of the finest um, thinkers that I've read, is, says this. He says, spiritual growth and vitality stem from what we actually do with our lives, from the habits we form and the character that results. Spiritual growth and vitality comes out of our character and the characters from the habits, and the habits are what we actually do. It's an incredible thing. We want the spiritual character. We want to be these amazing, but we're not focusing on the things that we do daily in and out. We just kind of blunder through the day, bleary-eyed, trying to make it through to the end of the month because there's more month than money and just trying to, like, just please leave me alone. I just want to be quiet and make it through the day. But what Dallas Willard is saying here, and, and if, you haven't, if you don't know, I've experienced this to be true in my life, and I've seen that the habits that I form in my life have a massive impact on my behavior, my character, and my spiritual formation. So there are things that, that people have done through the church, through the, in, in the church through history that have proved to be helpful in forming us spiritually. So some would call them spiritual formation practices, some would call them disciplines of the spirit, some would call them spiritual disciplines, whatever you might want to call those things, there are things that we do that are helpful to help us grow 
in our character and to become more and more like Jesus every day. And so obviously the base of that, if we've said that that, that three thing is forming, is our, is our being with Jesus to be like him, to do what he did. We've got to be with him first. So we're kind of like, okay, well, what, how do we be with Jesus? The first and most simple way is through prayer. Prayer is a spiritual formation practice. And there are many, many different kinds of, of prayer. You've got intercessory prayer, you've got devotional prayer, you've got silent prayer, you've got contemplative prayer, you've got lecture divina where you read scripture and pray that. There's, prayer, there's many, many different kinds of praying, imaginative prayer, singing prayer. There's a lot that you can, a lot of different ways you can pray. There's a lot of, a lot of practices that we can do. I'm going to run through a list of them quickly. So it might sound a bit weird. Some of them you might not have heard. Some of them you might be doing already and you just don't even realize it. So silence is a good one. We live in such a hurried, busy world. Have you ever tried to be silent? It's easy to sit quietly and keep your mouth closed for some of us, but it's hard to keep this thing quiet up here. If you can make five minutes of quiet upstairs, you are like Jedi-level spiritual formation. That's where you're at. Because we've been, it does not sit. Have you ever noticed if you try and be quiet and sit down and just listen to Jesus, how the to-do list starts to grow? Yeah, oh man, I need to do this. Oh yeah, I need to buy it. Yeah, yeah, I need to do it. It is a practice that we need to do in our hurriedness. When is the last time you said to someone, man, how are you going? And they were like, I am so calm. I'm so relaxed. I have had such a quiet week. It's been amazing. You laugh because busyness has become something that we almost value as a badge of honor where we go, man, I'm, I'm busier. Yes, I've been busy. But what we really want to say is like, I've been a bad friend. I didn't think about you. I didn't phone you because I just didn't and I'm bad. But like, if I'm busy, then it's, it's not so bad because I've been real busy. You know, kids and school and work and all sorts of stuff. Man, it's been hectic. Silence is a spiritual practice that'll lead us to focus on Jesus and reprioritize our lives. Solitude. And the introverts went, hey, Amen. Solitude, being on your own, being with Jesus. Fasting, here's a good one. We haven't done that in a while. Fasting, teaching the king's stomach that he is not in charge. Denying yourself physically in order to fulfill yourself spiritually. Frugality, here's a great old word. Being frugal, so in other words, living well within your means. You know that that's a spiritual discipline that you can do. Modern kind of outside the church, I'd call it minimalism. And it's taken a bit to the extreme and there isn't the heart behind it of going, man, I'm gonna live well within my means so that I can be generous. That's the heart of it. That's the spiritual discipline. It's not just to be like, oh, I only own two white t-shirts and a pair of black jeans. You're a consumeristic Western capitalist pig and I'm not. That's not the heart. That's, that's what happens out of minimalism is that there's the self-righteousness that grows up. But frugality in the, in the biblical sense is a way of saying, I'm gonna live in a frugal way so that I can bless others, so that I can demonstrate or give to the gospel or whatever it might be. Chastity. There's one our world needs. If you don't believe that we need chastity, just download it. There's an app called TikTok you can watch, and then you'll believe that we need chastity. Sacrifice is a spiritual discipline. Going without so that someone can have. Giving. I bet you all came to church this morning going, man, I hope he speaks on giving. Study. Study the word. Some of us are doing that already, and maybe, maybe you're like, oh, I'm not an academic. Like, I don't need to. 
Like, that's not my vibe, bro. Like, don't, I don't want to read big words and like, heavy concepts. Just, I like my daily devotion. I've got about 14 sentences, and I'm good with that. But it's a spiritual discipline that we need. It's a spiritual discipline that, that when we put that in place, it forms my character, and it helps me grow. Worship. Worship is not just a Sunday morning thing with three fast songs and one slow song. Worship is, a, is something that we are called to as a life. It's a lifestyle that we are called to. It is singing. That's involved in it. That's part of worship. And I want to challenge you. Do you worship on your own? Or do you wait for Dave and Nick to come and lead you on a Sunday morning in worship? Because that's not, e- that's not enough. <laughs> 35 minutes or 40 minutes that we do on a Sunday morning is not enough. It might be in the beginning, but as you grow, you're going to need some more. So practice worshiping at home. Service. We've spoken about that already over and over again. Spiritual discipline of serving others. Submission. It's a spiritual discipline. Submission. Confession. And you're going, hey, that's a bit Catholic, bro. And I don't mean in a box with a weirdly veiled thing in between where you have to tell one. But the word says that when we, are, when we confess our sins to one another, we are set free. That's incredible. When is the last time you practiced the spiritual discipline of confession? And a, and a discipline is not something you do once. It's something that you put in place regularly, and you do it over and over and over again. So as we are included in this family, it is an incredible privilege. We have an immense inheritance that we get to benefit from. We are co-heirs with Jesus, as the Word tells us. That is an incredible thing. And you think, like, your inheritance is the same as what Jesus is. Wow. Like, I don't deserve that. Yes, you don't. Neither do I. But that's what God says. He says, I will give you this inheritance. You, that is the benefit of being in my family. And you know the beautiful thing is that it doesn't matter how many are added to the family, you don't lose inheritance. Some of us are going like, man, I don't know. Like, I know how inheritance works. Like, it get divided up between the three of us or the eight of us. So three is better than eight if you're dividing the inheritance. But that's not what God says. God says each and every one of us is a full heir in God's family. It's a beautiful thing. Our purpose for being part of the family of God, being included in the family of God, is so that we can grow. We can grow the family and we can grow ourselves. And those two, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And the way we grow is by going. So let us not be afraid as we go out from this place and live out our live out our Christian walk. You know, the Christian walk is not a Sunday morning thing. You realize that, eh? Hey? This is like a halftime pep talk, rah rah re, kick him in the knee. And they must have had, I mean, if you, watched, if you watched the Springbok game yesterday, there must have been a very good halftime talk. The second half was way better, points-wise. And that's what this is like. This week coming, this is your second half. This is when you get to go out and go, man, I never knew those things were spiritual disciplines. I'm going to take one, two, five, ten, and, and there's more. That's not an exhaustive list. That's just things that I came up with. And you're going, I'm going to put those things in my head. I'm going to read the Word every day. I'm going to start there. I'm just going to read one verse every day. Maybe it's the same verse. That's okay. Read it. Start somewhere. Put the discipline in place. Get the habit going to form your character so that you can grow. Maybe you're going to go, man, I'm just going to share the gospel. with. Her. Do, you know this, do you know the safest place to share the gospel, to practice sharing? I, I resolved to do this a couple of, a couple of months ago. 
You know those telemarketers who phone you at least once a day, you get a phone call. <laughs> they are fair game. I just want to, we just got, do you mind if I take a few minutes of your time to tell you about this car warranty that we've got for you? We've just been fun. Yes, you can, as long as I can tell you about Jesus and how much he loves you and that he died for you on the cross and that he is going to, he wants to save you. He wants you part of family. I beg your pardon? No, you can tell me as long as I can tell you. We had one that was an easy thing. We were on a trip the other day and someone phoned me. I was on speakerphone in the car. There were some kids in the car with me and they phoned me from King Price Insurance and they just made it too easy. And they said, the king wants to cover your car, and the king will make sure that you never experience loss, and the king will do this. I said, yes. I said, lady, let me tell you about another king. He's called King Jesus, and I trust him. And so he covers my car. He covers my life. He covers my family, and I'm going to choose to follow King Jesus. Would you like to follow him too? And she said, thank you, Mr. Durant. I hope you have a lovely day. Goodbye. <laughs> but it is. There it is. You can do. That's, a, that's not even a spiritual discipline. That's just like... I'm just going to practice telling, because they don't know you. There's no like, you're never going to see that person again. I mean, they're probably never going to phone you again, which is also helpful. That's a win too. But there it is. There's a thing where you can just go, hey man, I'm going to, 30 seconds. That's your moment to share the gospel. Share it in that thing. The part of, the point of us being in a family is growth. When you, when you have kids, the point of having kids is so that they can grow and then so that they can go, so that your family grows and extends. Is that okay? All right. We're going to go and have some tea and cake and eat some things now. I want to ask you, if you could join me, we're going to pray for Mrs. Wright. Is that okay, Mrs. Wright? Some call her Granny Aileen, but I struggle from with that. I'm going to stick with Mrs. I think at 96, Mrs. Wright is good. Hey, if, you, if you're willing, if you're sitting near her, you can hold her hand and put your hand on her shoulder and just stretch out your hands to Mrs. Wright as we pray in the end here. Father God, I thank you for a life well lived, Lord. I thank you for just the vitality and the excitement and the exuberance that you've put in Mrs. Wright. I thank you for the gift that she is to all of us, God. Gift to her family, gift to this family, Lord God, a gift to this community. And I thank you for 96 plus years of pure brilliance through Mrs. Wright, Lord God. And we pray your blessing of many, many more years, Lord God. I pray for her health, that you would keep her healthy. May you make your face to shine upon her, Lord. May you give her your peace, and may you pour your blessing out over her. And I thank you that that blessing will pour down through the generations of her family, Lord God. We want to give you honor and glory this morning, Jesus, as we celebrate and honor Mrs. Wright. We pray these things in your loving name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Stick around. Have a fantastic morning.